it came from God and that we are God's people and that Jesus is the son of God. Well, just look at the, the Bible itself. You've heard this, uh, these things before, but uh, consider them again. The Bible came to us having been written over a period of about 1,500 years. The Bible was written by some 40 different men at different periods of time from different backgrounds, very different backgrounds. And the Bible has been shown time and again to be scientifically accurate. It's not a science book. But when it does mention things of a scientific nature, it is verified as true. It is true scientifically. And whenever the Bible speaks about this place or that place in geography, a lot of times it was disputed by man. And then, lo and behold, archaeologists would dig up evidence that uh, that city, that place, did indeed exist. It's evidence. And so we can show the, the Bible. That is what we have in our hand. It has both the power of God and the Holy Spirit to make us mature, spiritually speaking. And it is that which, for any honest, open-minded individual, considering the evidence to show that it is from God. And so the staff invested with God's power proves that Moses represented God. And we have the scriptures today in our hand. We'll look more at that a little bit later. But then the third point that our author makes is that God can take what we have and make them powerful and priceless. And he gives uh, a few examples uh, other than uh, Moses and the rod that we've just read about such as Shamgar in Judges chapter 8 with the ox goad. You recall that, that he with this one thing that became a weapon killed 600 Philistines. Uh, David in 1 Samuel 17, what did he have in his hand? He had a sling and he had some pebbles and with it he brought down the giant Goliath. Then in John chapter 6, we have a young boy, and what does he have in his hand? He has a lunch, five loaves and two fish. And when presented to Jesus, look at what God did with what was in this young boy's hand. There's the poor widow mentioned in Mark rather, chapter 12. And you recall the account there where she was observed going into the temple and depositing two small coins, whereas those before and after her had put in much larger sums of money. And what the Lord said, commending her, that she has given more than them all, for she gave all that she had, not just a portion. Examples other than uh, Moses and his rod here to show that um, God can take what we have in our hand and make it powerful. And then he brings out a very important point that I believe is, is uh, very true. What matters is our willingness, our willingness to use what we have to his glory. 
let's not discount what we do have at our disposal or in our hand, if you will. And consider that uh, it matters not if it's priceless or if it's of uh, little value, no matter what it is. If we are willing to use it, that's what matters. If we are willing to use it to his glory. He mentions Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, where it says that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So that's what matters, our willingness. Are we willing to recognize and use whatever it is that we have in, in our disposal, in our hand, for God's glory? Uh, this reminds me of a song. We don't sing it here. Uh, at least I've, I've never heard it sung here, never heard it led here. You might not even know this song. But in Sojourners, um, Kay and I mostly uh, do Sojourners with, that have to do with small churches, 50 members or less, a lot of times much less, like 15 or less. And they've reached out to Sojourners with a request, come and help us. Sometimes it's with physical repairs, and we do those. We don't get on tops of roofs anymore. Our elders that oversee this mission uh, laid down the law on that after some falls by 70 and 80 year old men. <laughs> Marl's not here, is he? <laughs> but uh, we go, and uh, usually a uh, sojourner team consists of about five couples. And so we go in and uh, we do, we try to do what they have requested. But most of the time, regardless of what it is, a lot of times it's knocking on doors, uh, uh, holding VBSs or uh, Bible studies. But usually what it boils down to is what they are really needing and crying out for help is encouragement. They're small in number. What, what can they do? And a lot of times that's the attitude. What, what can we do? We need help. You can, and they do need help. But they can also do a lot. And that's what we try to encourage them to do is to realize what you can do and do it. But anyway, uh, there is a song that we have come to uh, sing sort of as a theme song, I guess, uh, in all of these. And when we worship with the church for the two weeks that we are with them, uh, and in our devotionals that we have every morning before we start working, uh, a lot of times we sing this. The, the title of the song is, Little is Much When God is in It. And I'm not going to do a solo up here <laughs> leading this, but let me just read. It has five verses. Listen very carefully to the words of this song. In the harvest field, now ripened, there is a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. In the mad rush of the Broadway, in the hurry and the strife, Tell of Jesus' love and mercy. Give to them the word of life. Now notice verse 3. 
Does the place you're called to labor seem too small and little known? It is great if God is in it, and he'll not forget his own. Are you laid aside from service, body worn from toil and care? You can still be in the battle, in the sacred place of prayer. Then the last verse. When the conflict here is ended and the race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. Then the chorus, little as much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's, uh, there's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Uh, that always encourages Kay and myself when we sing that song. But uh, it points out what the author is trying to get across here in this point, that God can take what we have and make them powerful and priceless. We've got to realize what we have, acknowledge it, and be willing to use it in God's name. And so it really comes down to his point number four, what is in my hand? And let's look at that as we close this out. The author in the book uh, points out several things that we can consider as being in our hand. Uh, and we won't go into these. You have uh, that in your book, and there are some good points and comments and scriptures made there. He mentions we have our life in our hand. We have time, we have influence, we have talents, and we have our souls, or my salvation. Instead of going into all of these in detail, I want to zero in in the last few minutes of our class this morning with the last one. We have our soul. We have our salvation. For everyone in this room who have obeyed the gospel, we are saved. And we can know that we are saved by God's word and the promises that he makes. So I want us to look at uh, a few scriptures in this regard. Mark 16, 15 through 16, we've already uh, alluded to that. But it is what we call the Great Commission, the great marching orders of the Lord to us, his soldiers, his children. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so we have taken this by implication and by example and by command to apply to us as it did to the apostles when Jesus gave this before he ascended back into heaven. We have the gospel in our hand. We have the gospel, the saving gospel in our hand. In other words, we know 
what was done for us, the blood of Christ that was shed that brings salvation, and we know that we have met the conditions that the Lord made to take hold of that free gift of salvation. We, we can tell somebody what, how we became a Christian. And a lot of times in our knocking on doors and meeting people, and we ask them the question, if the Lord were to come right now, are you sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven with him? And a lot of times we will uh, get the answer, why, yes, I'm a Christian. And we follow that up. I say, well, that, that's wonderful. We try to be positive. Would you, if you have time, share with us what, how you became a Christian? And there it becomes very interesting. Would you believe that most people that we ask this question to have a problem trying to relate to you exactly how they became a Christian? Most of the time, at least in the Southeast, uh, the answer is, well, I, I accepted Jesus into my heart. I accepted him as my personal savior. I did the, the sinner's prayer, and, uh, and that's how I was saved. Sometimes they say, well, uh, my mother and dad, my grandparents were Christians, and I grew up in this home, and sort of by metamorphosis, I too am a Christian. And we shut up. We zip our lips, and we listen patiently as they relate to us how they perceive that they became a Christian. When they get through, we say that's very interesting. Uh, it's a little different from how we became Christians. Would you mind if we share with you how we became Christians? And after we've had prayer with them and we've listened to their salvation story, most of the time, if time is not pressing, they will say, well, sure. And that's when we go into a presentation of the gospel. But that's what I'm talking about. We can do that. Each and every one of us can relate to somebody how it came to be that we are a Christian. We are saved. Can we not? If we don't have dementia yet, we can. We have that in our hand. We have the knowledge of salvation that can save anyone who obeys the gospel. We have it in our hand. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he paid for it many times, didn't he? By beatings, by shipwrecks. He gives the list there in Philippians and other places of all that he went through. No, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we must not be ashamed with what we have in our hand, each and every one of us. Not ashamed of it. If given the opportunity, and hopefully we're looking for opportunities, our radars are always up, to see windows of opportunity to introduce uh, things of a spiritual matter. And so once we see an opportunity, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. Then in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, 
or before we go there, consider with us Isaiah 52 in verse 7. This is quoted by Paul later on, and we'll be looking at that in just a moment. But the prophet in Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Then in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, Listen as Paul makes reference to this prophecy. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? And then here he goes. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So that brings us to Acts chapter 8, in verses 1 through 4. Acts 8, 1 through 4. Now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They remained in Jerusalem. Everybody else was scattered. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, now notice this, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, Christians, every day, Christians like you and me, not the apostles. They stayed behind. But we're talking about everyday Christians. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Thought that was the preacher's job, the evangelist's job, the elder's job, right? Yes, it is, but not exclusively by them. We're all preachers. We're all evangelists. Because we all have within our hand that which can bring a soul to salvation. And we've been told to take it throughout the world to every creature. Now, we're not supposed to just get in the pulpit and preach like that. You know what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about opportunities that we are around. Uh, sometimes there is a um, method of personal evangelism called friendship evangelism. And it concentrates on uh, our training ourselves to use those natural bridges that we have with various people. People in our family, people in our neighborhood, people that we work with at work, 
people that are in the school system that we come in contact with, people who we know and they know us. You already have trust established. You don't have to wade into unknown territories. You trust each other. And these are bridges to cross with the gospel when there is opportunity. And if we're looking for opportunities, the Lord will provide them for us. He will. Whereas if we're not looking for them, there may be opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to have breached the subject of salvation with someone who is lost, and we, we never take advantage of it. We're not using that which is in our hand. And so uh, the point that I'm trying to get over to us is that uh, we've, we really need to begin viewing ourselves as evangelists because we are and get out of the mentality that it's only the preacher or the evangelist's job to preach the gospel. And that example is here for us in Acts chapter 8. Uh, I think the text more literally translated is as, and those who were scattered as they went shared the gospel. They had to stop by, you know, to uh, fill up their tank with gas and so on, you know, like on their way wherever they were going. This is after the day of Pentecost, you remember. People from all over the region, the known world, had come to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, or Pentecost rather. And now with this persecution, those that uh, had obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost, they remained. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the prayers and the breaking songs and breaking of bread. So they stayed learning more about the Lord's church. But then the persecution scattered them. And as they went, as they would stop for meals, for something to eat, to rest, for a drink of water along the way as they're going, let me tell you about what we've just experienced coming from Jerusalem. Have you heard what's going on, what happened there? Let me share it with you. We can all do that. And until we begin to have a, a deeper understanding and appreciation for what we have in our hand, our own salvation, and the knowledge of that salvation, and start sharing it with others as we have opportunity, then not many people are going to be hearing the gospel of salvation. This is God's plan that it be disseminated uh, among the population, the masses, by us, by Christians. So don't think that uh, you've got to prepare a lesson, you've got to prepare a, a nice three-point sermon on the gospel and get up behind a pulpit or behind a podium and preach as you go every day in the workplace, at school, in the community, and your radar is up and it starts beep, 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 beep. Here's somebody that just mentioned something of a spiritual nature. Hey, 
Let me see the, if I can get into that little door that he's opened. You already know each other. This is that friendship evangelism, that natural bridges that we all have. Let's cross them for God's glory. That's the main thing that I wanted to uh, get out of this lesson. And uh, I think we have a, a few minutes left here. Maybe some of you may have some comments or, or questions before we close out. Anybody? Lord willing, next week, next Sunday, we will uh, get back in sequence with our lessons. And uh, this was lesson 14. Uh, I think I mentioned that. Kind of got out of sync there. But uh, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll be looking at lesson 17. Uh, if nothing happens. Anybody? Then I'm going to let you visit a little bit before the wrong answer buzzer comes on. <laughs>